the the uh, the the concept of celebrity is mm. and always has been a twisted, disgusting, cruel yeah. joke. Mm-hmm. It is both garish and gross for mm-hmm. the people that idolize, the, for the people that create these parasocial relationships with those people, and mm-hmm. it is actually even worse for the celebrity. Mm-hmm. Even worse. It mm-hmm. is it is a it is a miserable horrifying existence. Yeah. And I have and I know this is like not a popular thing to say, but I have the most sympathy, the most utmost sympathy for people who are in positions of celebrity. Mm-hmm. It looks like it sucks. It yeah. looks like the most terrible fucking shit of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel bad for them. I really do. It's a monkey's paw. 100%. There's, 100%. There's nothing... It's it's made me start to realize... Um, so, okay. I'm going to ask you mm. a question about 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and now. Mm-hmm. Would you rather be rich or famous? What would your answer have been 10 years ago, 5 years ago, and now? 10 years ago probably famous 5 years ago probably rich now if i had to choose Welcome to the Hegelian Friendship Simulator, the only podcast on the internet where we try to make sense of the world one Wikipedia article at a time. That's right. That's right. I, of course, as always, am joined by my wonderful, beautiful co-host, John Miklas. Well, thank you. And uh, I, as always, am joined by the sensuous Mm. and sensational... Yeah, I need new words. I, I feel like I use normal words. Those were great. Alex Virgil. Uh, yeah, you, you do. You use um, beautiful a lot, which I appreciate. I'm not discounting. I think it's good. But does it lose? Is it starting to lose its? No, I think I'm still beautiful. Do you feel it? You still I feel, feel, I still you feel are. beautiful. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah. You are. I don't know. I feel like the adjectives, um, yeah, are, are uh, I don't know, to, to our listeners may indicate a relationship uh they don't it kind of keeps keeps our relationship on uh you know keeps them on their toes you know <laughs> to the listeners I'm, i just i literally just see a cattail going over the screen <laughs> yeah uh, back and forth croissant uh my cat has entered into the the podcast tonight croissant's butthole is right where my face is yeah it is um, um how you doing Birch? Hey, What's up? How are things? I'm doing. I'm doing well, man. Uh, things are good. Things are good. Had a pretty chill, chill, good week, you know. Um, uh, started a couple books just to see, just to see like what I'm feeling. Yeah. I hilariously got the Grant, the Ulysses S. Grant, um, biography, the one that every single journalist has in their bookshelf 
when they're on the news just to see what it is and like the reading like the estimated read time is 35 hours fucking christ (laughs) so we'll see we'll see about that yeah we'll see things Um, are mellow i mean the weather's been weird how you doing i'm good yeah i've I've been reading a lot too i've been just like absolutely crushing ursula Le Guin right now hell yeah i i I finished dispossessed and i found left-handed darkness at a bookstore and i just went immediate day day i finished went into the new one same mm. author i i haven't now, done that that's in a while huge yeah. i just had the second book in the uh three body problem trilogy made available to me on the library and i pushed it back because i was like i need yeah. some more time I need some time <laughs> yeah. uh and um feeling yeah it. i i'm feeling it. it's it, it's good stuff for sure that's good oh uh, i read yeah. something last night that was great um well i'm still forming my opinion on it uh our our mutual friend david uh sent me a play called mr burns a post-electric play okay the first act takes place um two years after the vaguely alluded to apocalypse okay and it's a handful of people around a campfire trying to remember a simpsons episode oh funny and it's the Cape Fear episode. And they're kind of like talking about it, and remembering different things. And like every once in a while, there's like a snap of a twig and they're just like on alert, you know? And very interesting. And then the second uh, act takes place seven years after when mm. they have kind of formed a kind of like troop. Oh, interesting. And they're like workshopping, but you know, it's been seven years. And then the third one is 75 years later during a performance of you know yeah the simpsons interesting yeah like that it's interesting um it's a fun read yeah like i'm 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 still trying to like you know pick apart how i feel about it but it's a fun read yeah yeah Yeah, it's that's interesting i'm i'm you know what's interesting i for a more than a year like for multiple years now i've felt like my attention span Mm. is diminishing Mm -hmm. and then this past year like when covid hit you know there was a feeling in my head where i was like i'm gonna do so much reading like Mm -hmm. this quarantine is like a starting over point like Mm. i can do so much like i can read i can write i can watch movies Mm. I did fucking nothing. You know what I mean? I just like yeah. looked at my phone forever. And now at the last like two months, I felt myself like waking up. Like mm. I'm watching foreign films again. I'm reading again. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm, and I haven't quite kind of put my finger on like what is happening, mm. mm-hmm. what that means, whether it's just like discipline or mm-hmm. if it's something more. Right. Um, but it's exciting and it makes me feel less gloomy about mm-hmm. like like my personal development mm-hmm. i was kind of like pushing on to the world and i was mm-hmm. like what is this like degenerative like existence that we are heading towards right and i don't feel that way as much right right now at right least, now you know? yeah 
I don't know. It's very interesting. I don't know what to, to what to make of it. I feel the same way, man. I think November, right at the turn of the year, was pretty, uh, was like a low. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was. But um, definitely the last couple weeks, for me, especially, but the last two months, for sure. Hey, from it, it's you, baby. It's you, baby. I've always had a suspicion that I might be the Truman Show character in this world. So, <laughs> so here we are. You're just my handler. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um, Virch, do you have any old business from last week? We had a um, rollicking episode last week. We had a lot to talk about. We did. Um, I have a fun old business that has to do with sports oh sweet well it's kind of new obviously um yeah but when i was doing some research on what was going to be my topic today which still will be my topic probably next week um i found this sport that they play in uh central asia around the stands cool called buzkashi nice that's a fun name for a sport yeah, it's a sport in which horse-mounted players attempt to place a goat or calf carcass in a goal. Oh. So it's like some straight-up, like, put-the-ball-in-the-other-hole situation, except they're on horses, and it's a goat carcass. Yeah, sure. And I watched some clips. Very intense. Very cool. They straight-up use a goat carcass. Um. And there's like a technique where they'll, uh, there's like a whip that they have and they'll stick it in their teeth and stick the goat carcass under their leg, like, you know, sandwich it between the leg and the horse and like ride and there's like people trying to like knock them off and shit. Yeah, dude. Fucking intense. That sounds rad. Um, but there's this, the best player in the world, the number one player, his name is Aziz Ahmad and he has... A pretty cool story that is the opposite of Rube Waddell. Okay. Uh, so it's a very quick one, so I'm just going to go through it. Yeah, do it. Ahmad was born in a farming village in northern Kunduz to a poor family. He became he began playing Buzkashi at age 15. At the time that he began playing, it was a rite of passage for young men in the region. At age 18, he was conscripted by the military of the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan during the Mm. Soviet-Afghan War. Whoa. He soon defected from the government military to join the Mujahideen. Whoa. Ahmad initially left Kabul and returned to Kunduz after the 1992 Civil War began. His playing skills soon drew the attention of Muhammad Fahim, who was then a powerful warlord. Fahim offered to sponsor him if he returned to play in Kabul and chartered a helicopter to bring him back. Ahmad remained in Kabul until leaving the city in 1996, shortly after it fell to the Taliban, who then banned the sport. He returned to the north. Yeah, he returned to the north and joined the Northern Alliance to fight against the Taliban in the ensuing civil war. Fuck yeah. After the fall of the Taliban during the 2000 war in Afghanistan, Ahmad returned to his Buzkashi career. And soon became known as the best living player. Fuck yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Can and I think it needs to be I don't know, I wanna I just wanna say it. It's like 
I think that there are a lot of um, like groups and cultures that like American empire has unfairly maligned and like we mm. don't understand their full like we don't like really start to understand like their full worldview and like yeah. I, I think a lot of insurgents in the Middle East like you're like well we need to start thinking about like what they're thinking fuck mm. the Taliban man like honestly <laughs> motherfuck the Taliban <laughs> yeah just like like manage man trying attempting to suck all of the fun and the culture out of like like that it's just it's like insane i've never heard a single good thing about the taliban in any direction yeah no one of the most uniquely bad like worldviews that i've across ever the board yeah across, across the board, the board every condemnable. single thing uh so there's that yeah um i have an old business too nice and it, awesome hilariously it's on what you were talking about look at us yeah look at us go um so i don't know well i know why i I, every time i hear about uh zapata Mm -hmm. i like have like there's like a lightning strike in my head where i'm like Mm -hmm. you have to go research zapatismo right now like you have Mm -hmm. to go uh research like what it's like and so i I don't know how are you very familiar with neo zapatismo at all no okay good no um well so first of all i, I have, hope to be in the next couple minutes i have a i have a media rec um okay. it's called people without faces okay it is a youtube video it's about 50 minutes long it's a documentary that was produced by a russian film crew uh so it's like a russian mexican production but there's english um subtitles and uh it is about the um, I th- let me make sure I have it right. Easy, yeah. It is about the Easy LN, okay. With, which is Ejercito Zapatista de Liberación Nacional, or the mm. Zapatista Army of National Liberation, mm. which is a rebel group that has been in open war with the Mexican government since 1994. Mm. and controls a significant area of rural Chiapas, Mexico, mm-hmm. and runs on what many people on the left fathom to be the most advanced style of government in the world. Oh. It is, they, they, they organize themselves in this region mm. in a anarchist socialist commune. And have been doing this for thirty years. Yeah, it is so cool. And the 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 documentary does a really good job of kind of like like it has like pretty unfettered access. So mm. you see these. So one of the things that they're kind of famous for, um, the Zapatista, like the neo Zapatistas, mm-hmm. um, wear masks all the time. Mm. And so like, <laughs> if you like, there's these videos of children being taught in schools in this region uh-huh. and in similarly to like how like a jewish people in a synagogue would wear a kippah mm-hmm. they're covering their faces it's like part of the culture that everyone covers their faces uh-huh. uh and so they but and so part of that is because they're literally at war with mexican government right. and so they're worried about like retribution by paramilitary mm-hmm. groups or the government mm-hmm. itself or whatever but also they believe in like 
giving up their individual identity. Mm. And so like the the leader or quote unquote leader of this movement, this guy Sub Subcomandante Marcos. Okay. Uh, that's not even his real name. And mm-hmm. he actually no longer goes like by that. A a one of his comrades died, this guy Galliano. So now he goes by Subcomandante Galliano. Um he and and part of the part of the the appeal or part of the, his shtick is he goes by subcommandante. He's mm. not the commander. He's subcommander because he's below the people. Ah, yes, that is literally. Oh my god, I was thinking about this the other day. I literally like two days ago, where it's just like, how do you create a society where the leader is clearly serving? Like it's clear yeah. that it's. So they have these. So basically, they they organize. So so they have they call it th- like three tiers of government. And so you have a community, which is like, it can be as small as like a single family, but -hmm. it can be a community of like three to five families that live in a, you know, like whatever. They send a delegate that goes to the next tier. And so all of the delegates, every single one of these groupings of people sends a delegate. Mm -hmm. And from there, their like village or whatever sends a delegate out of that into like the regional government Mm -hmm. and everything demands a a like an action from all tiers Mm. and so and 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 these these people like the representatives are constantly rotating out so everything is served by the people for the people it is the most it is the most like uh democratic society basically that exists in the world damn it is so cool you gotta watch this documentary i think you'd love it i i highly recommend it people without faces um and they're they're just they're they claim they their whole thing too is that i mean this is like a very indigenous region of mexico Mm -hmm. and so part of this they say that zapatismo cannot can only function where they live like that they're not trying to like take over the world but Mm -hmm. they do they they like kind of tell the world to kind of like the adam curtis thing like rethink the way that you see that the world could exist yeah they're like you everyone needs to have their own zapatismo Mm -hmm. everyone needs to have their own movement like people's movements should happen everywhere and it should be for everyone it is so cool. I, this I, is like, cool. The 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 kind of ironic part of it, mm-hmm. and what I almost did my whole section on, is that cool. Because first of all, I was watching this documentary and it's like, I have to see this. Yeah, I have to. I want, and I and so I was thinking about it. I was like, I want to witness this. So then on Wikipedia there is an article. It's called Zapaturismo. And there is like kind of a, a like weirdly ironic thing of Western sympathizers, like right. leftist Western sympathizers who have traveled to this part, San Cristobal, like this part of Chiapas yeah. in order to like witness what is, you know, arguably the most advanced form of government on earth. Um, and it made me feel a little bit sad because I and all of these people who genuinely 
are so excited at the idea of this right live in such a consumption culture Mm -hmm. that all we can do is consume this like Mm -hmm. we can't even we have no Mm -hmm. ability and no care like truly like i don't think that we we don't have the ability we have no power but we also don't have the will to make this happen in our own in our own place big one yeah yeah and so we all we can do is experience it through consuming their culture via like tourism Mm -hmm. it's so i don't know i don't want to end on that sad of a note i do it's okay there's a yeah there's there's one little piece that is is very cool and light that we can end on that i found um apart from cheering for local liga mexico side chiapas fc which relocated whatever uh subcommandant Sub Comandante Marcos and the EZLN also support the Italian Serie A club Inter Milan. The contact between EZLN and Inter, one of Italy's biggest and most famous clubs, began in 2004 when an EZLN commander contacted a delegate from Inter, uh, Inter Campus, the club's charity organization, which Funny. has funded sports, water, and health projects in Chiapas. And they're like, so they have like a relationship. There's a Chiapas, Inter Milan, Zapatista, Inter Milan relationship. Hell yeah. Good to know. Good stuff. All right. Hey, so. Hey, cool. I would, yeah, I mean, I would recommend you, all of our listeners, to go watch that uh, that documentary and to, like, read about the Zapatista movement in southern Mexico. It's very cool. Sounds fun. Um, (laughs) Sounds fun, I said. Sounds Um, fun. What what time is it? Uh, I think it's. You got the music for me. Ethnic enclave of the week. Um. So this week, I I don't have a ton. I don't have a ton of information. It will go quick. Um. I I guess I don't know how I got started on this little this little thread okay um but i started reading a little bit about um the sudanese in america okay and i guess one of the things that interests me is that i have like some like firsthand experience with this Mm. uh because um not only is san diego a pretty pretty massive hub of east african peoples in the united states Mm -hmm. um but my employer in particular has um employed like i don't know probably in the last 10 years probably like 15 to 20 um lost boys of sudan oh uh so i've i've you know met many i've been to the church the roman catholic church in poway california where that is like the um kind of the facilitator for the lost boys in the united states like uh the owner of the company i work for is like very involved um so that is cool i their their story is insane and and uh obviously worth reading into and all of the lost boys and girls of sudan that i've met are funny and Mm -hmm. interesting and like full of life and so it's very cool um, but I, while f- researching, I found out 
an interesting mm. statistic that um oh and first of all i should know i do want to note the lost boys of sudan are specifically south sudanese americans mm. uh so this was like less of a distinction when that kind of whole movement was happening right but now now it's its own now south sudan is its own country yeah and when we think of the lost boys of sudan they are from South Sudan, and they are specifically a like a two tribes that are were were in our Roman Catholic, um, oh, and that was okay. part of like the huge like right. crisis in Darfur was that the Islam majority of Sudan was persecuting and killing, massacring mm-hmm. the um, Lost Boys of Sudan. Uh, so are like this those tribes, right? But I didn't realize this. The city Omaha, Nebraska, has the largest Sudanese population in the world outside of Sudan. Wow. I never would have guessed. Never would have guessed. Never would have guessed that. Um, And so I was, I did some like cursory research. There's some pretty cool things. Like if you search just like Omaha, Nebraska, Sudanese, Mm -hmm. there's like a a Today America, you know, Today Show Mm-hmm. clip about like uh, so this like basketball league like the the sudanese community is like super into basketball in omaha a ton mm-hmm. of kids have like gotten d1 scholarships out of that mm-hmm. um there's also a lot of uh kind of um aggressively like fear-mongery stuff from like the omaha newspaper about crime right. in the sudanese community yeah um but I tried to like hammer out like, all right, what neighborhood are the South Sudanese or, or the Sudanese in general in in Omaha? And so I found that South Omaha is a former city and it's a current neighborhood of Omaha. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the Wikipedia article is actually pretty interesting um, in that South Omaha was and continues to be culturally diverse. This is reading straight from the article. Oh, okay. Many residents are descended from the Czech, Irish, Italian, Latino, Lithuanian, and Polish immigrants hmm. who made up the original workforce in the meatpacking district. Hmm. Uh, they were primarily Roman Catholic in religion. In recent decades, South Omaha has seen an influx of new immigrants representing Hispanic and Sudanese populations. And so not only that, but this article gives a listing of all of the Roman Catholic churches in South Omaha and the mm. different ethnic groups associated with them. Oh, wow. Uh, so there are Roman Catholic churches specifically like associated with the Irish, German, Czech, Polish, Lithuanian, Italian, Croatian, Hispanic, and then there are Orthodox churches associated with Greek, Serbian, and Romanian. Uh, and they're in South Omaha. There is a little Bohemia and a little Italy. And I, Sick. It, it, it reminded me a lot of like, like kind of how my parents talk about what mm. St. Louis was like, you know, mm. like my parents both grew up in St. Louis in the middle of the 20th century. And there it was like this teeming with these kind of quote unquote ethnic enclaves. Right. And now you probably really couldn't find very much information about that kind of history in st louis because it's been so whitewashed by country clubs and these like chubby southern guys in polo shirts you know mm-hmm. and i'll bet omaha is a lot the same way in many ways right but it is cool to think that omaha is this like old ass city that has all of these ethnic groups that have just like been 
yeah. mixing in for all these years. I, you know, it's it's easy to think of Omaha, Nebraska as this plain ass, mm-hmm. completely meaningless like dot on the map, right? Of Mayo, you know, Mayo centric white culture. Yeah. But all these, all of these Mayo ass people of today, a couple generations back, <laughs> were you know. <laughs> Some Had krauts. culture. Yeah, krauts and drunken <laughs> Irishmen and Polacks and a whole lot of things that, you know, it's kind of crazy. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. That's so cool. There are, a, I love how many pages there are surrounding the diversity in Omaha. Right? There's yeah. a lot, like a surprising amount of stuff. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool too because I was reading about, I don't know what page it was on. But um, R- Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, yeah, I saw that one. You saw that where he said something like that it was full of like low life scum from Eastern Europe. It's like yeah. go fuck yourself. I love that. Rud- when, are, when are we gonna finally cancel Rudyard Kipling? Like maybe oh this will maybe our podcast can be the ones to finally put the nail in the coffin of Rudyard Kipling. Fuck that yeah. guy. Yeah, that's so. It's so funny because of course Rudyard Kipling would have uh, an opinion on Omaha's diversity. Right. <laughs> All right, dude. You ready for mine? This was yeah. a this was a last minute pivot, but it's a fun one. It's not necessarily long, but today we are going to talk about the town of Whittier, Alaska. Have you heard okay. about this? I might, but I go for it. I I think I know what it's what it about, is. but this is yeah. a town yeah. Uh, with the popu- about a, a, an hour south of Anchorage, with a population of two hundred and five people estimated, mm-hmm. and most of almost all of them live in a single building. Fuck yeah! The yep. Baggage Towers condominium. Yep. It's two hundred people living in a fourteen-story built like apartment con- condominium building, and like. That's the town. And that's the fucking town. It's amazing. Yes, I have heard of this, and I am I love it. I am so excited to hear more about it. Yeah, um, so it's very cool. So, uh, again, Whittier is a small town on the south part of Alaska. It was developed uh, by the Army. You know, it was originally the site of a military facility um, around uh, the 40s. And uh, there were two buildings that dominated the town after World War II. The 14-story Hodge Building, which was renamed to the Baggage Towers, as they are now, completed in 1957. Um, And the other building was the Buckner Building. And uh, so they were originally buildings built to house the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Hmm. Um, eventually they left, I guess. Um, and now all the town citizens live in that one building and there are, uh, there are like amenities, you know, so that it has, there's a post office, grocery store, like a video rental shop, school. Um, and it's, (laughs) it's kind of hilarious because you go down to like the demographics part of uh, this town, and it's a town of two hundred people, 
But listen to the sentence. The age distribution within the city shows that 13.96% of the population is under the age of 18. Oh, my God. 3.15% is between the ages of 18 and 24. 23.87. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, literally you could say, like, there are 10 people under 18. <laughs> yeah, wait, 13. 13. I guess that'd be, what, 26, 27 It's people? about 30. Yeah, about 30. Right, 215 um, people? Two two oh five. Oh two oh five. In in twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eight. Um, that's, uh, it, that, that, <laughs> it just it strikes me as so wild because not only like Alaska is also so like sparsely populated. So mm-hmm. so like there can't. It's not like you can just go to the next town over, right? Like it's not like this is oh, like yeah. the town like outside of something else. Like this is it. This yeah, is this it is it. They so there's a tunnel that they have to go through like a mountain to get to Anchorage, but the tunnel closes every night at 10:30. Oh. And they are like literally there between a mountain and the ocean. Oh my and, god. And 10:30. And so like so there's this one video put out uh by PBS that was um was mostly focusing on a teacher that teaches there and she lives in the building and she's like if you like we like you can't leave the town on a school night to go to dinner in anchorage because that's like an hour away and she's like so you'll go to a movie and then you're hoping that it gets out at 9 nine thirty, and then if you don't get to the end of uh, to the tunnel by ten thirty, you're sleeping in your car and she's like which has happened more than a few times <laughs> oh yeah but that's why like so usually there you know there's and there's like alaska is the place where like that that sounds pretty alaska but yeah. it's usually like a cluster of houses or you know right. whatever but they're all in this one big building and they all know their business each other's business yeah. you know in a way that like i'm sure at 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 the place where they must be at at a community is like you know, not that bad. It was probably like more supportive than it is, you know, intrusive. Yeah, I mean, it sounds awful, but at the same time, I think, um, I would imagine that Woodier, Alaska is probably more well adjusted than mm-hmm. most 200 person towns in Alaska mm-hmm. because of this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that the, the collective element of living in one building together mm-hmm. makes like gives yes it's like eccentric and weird right. and probably there are some pretty big downsides but like right. it allows you like some some energy to live off of right whereas like i don't know i'll bet there's some like pretty bad like opiate towns like oh yeah i mean there have been more than a couple movies that have shown this and um you know, so obviously it's not necessary. I'm not saying I know what's up, but like it seems like, you know, it's a bunch of people that live up there for a specific, like for a reason, you know, an existential reason. Um, yeah. And in the winter, when it's when it's dark, eighteen hours of the day or whatever, like they can't go outside, and like they 
interact way less with each other than and but in this building it's like no matter what you go into the hallway and there's and there's people and there's yeah. life yeah the teacher talks about how like she says we had to put out an announcement that school starts at 8:45 because if we turn on the lights if the students see that the lights are on at like 6 a.m. 7 a.m. they'll just come down they'll come yeah <laughs> and they'll just like want to hang out and is the like, school in that in the building yeah oh my god yeah that's so crazy this is yeah. it's so crazy it's such a different way to live mm-hmm. and it's like not it, it's it's i think i've I've read about this before and I've thought mm-hmm. about it before and it's like it's not necessarily bad. It's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like I don't know, there's a lot of like unenviable small town America mm-hmm. stuff where it's like nope, this is bad. I would I'm like in Whittier, Alaska, don't get me wrong, I don't need to right. move there. I don't want to like switch my life into that. Right. But I'm not like I'm not I'm not horrified by it. No. I find it quite interesting. It's kind of fun. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, it's kind of fun. Yeah. There's a part of me that is, like, kind of curious. I wonder um, how many people in America live in towns with a less than a thousand people. That is very interesting. And that is curious. Because I have never... I mean... The closest I've come is Hawaii, but Hawaii is its own thing where it's like people are spread out over the island, but there is kind of the idea that it's all one concept, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, but then the teacher was also like, I grew up in a big city in a big apartment building and like, that's ultimately what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And she'd say like, it's kind of sometimes it's hard to like separate the fact that I'm a teacher because I know what's going on in these kids' lives, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a part of their lives. But she's like, and she's like, you know, I have to remember that I'm their teacher because half the time they're calling me mom anyway. Right. <laughs> and she's like, but it's cool because it's like I genuinely, if a student knocks at my door, I, it's always open kind of thing. Yeah, there's some. How many, what was her, as a teacher, what was her responsibility? Like K through 12? No, it seemed like elementary school kids, and she said she was with the same kids for four years. Oh wow! Yeah, interesting. Um, so it's like hard to put a put like a hard to see what the effects of that of living like this are in the long term to like people because she says it's kind of it's like living in any big apartment building, but it's like yo, like you don't know your neighbors in normal apartment situations no. this is your whole town man because it's i think that for most people mm-hmm. it's like a trip to imagine living in anchorage alaska you know right. what i mean like right. that would be a culture shock mm-hmm. like that would feel like i don't know i think about living in anchorage alaska versus living in la or new york you know like they're just it's so different and then this this is just like it's like you might as well live on I think I think if if they established a 10 million person city on Mars it would yeah. be easier for us to adjust living on Mars than it would to adjust living in Yeah, in I mean near Alaska. Here I'm sharing my screen but pe- yeah. pe- you guys have to see like where this is, you know, yeah. where this is on the map. Like this is like 
Alaska as you picture it, you know? Yeah. Um, so they're just like right in this inlet. And I imagine this, this is like the tunnel here. That's the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you get on like the, the one, (laughs) right. Um, up to Anchorage. Um, but yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's uh, very interesting. Seems kind of cool. Uh, so in this NPR, there's this NPR article, which was the reason I found it. Um, the photographer and reporter said, who who were there for two weeks, said, uh, it did remind me of, you know, my principal's office, which is the police station down the hall. Um, and it said, uh, it felt like the halls of her high school. This is the reporter. There's a laundromat, all that. Oh, this one. Uh, one Whittier resident, June Miller, owns a bed and breakfast on the building's top two floors. So now I'm like, oh, this is some like possibly like some Snowpiercer to shit, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So she prides herself on having the fanciest and and I have to remember these are real people that are currently living in a real town. So June Miller, I am not shitting on you at all. Yeah. Just very interesting dynamics that we're discovering about your town. Um. She prides herself on having the fanciest and prettiest, best interior decorated condos for rent in the whole town. And then there's a picture of her looking out, <laughs> looking out the window with binoculars. She outfitted all of the bed and breakfast rooms with binoculars. Most people in town, particularly on the harbor side of the building, seem to have binoculars. A lot of people keep them there to watch whales breaching and mountain goats grazing and things like that. But June always told us that these are basically for finding out if your husband's at the bar. Oh, I was going to ask if there was a bar in this town. I'm glad to hear that there is. Yeah. Uh, It is funny that it's not inside this building, though. Oh, hilarious. Yeah. It's separate. Um, Downstairs at the Cozy Corner Grocery Store, employee Gary Carr sits behind a computer. The store isn't so busy all the time, so he spends a lot of time on that computer. And I remember Gary saying that one of his obsessions was keeping up with Top 40 Radio. Oh, my God. These people need... This This town needs to have a reality TV show. Yeah, Maybe. this is I would watch it. I would watch it religiously. I, I love it. There's something about the idea of people living, like, close together like this yeah. that is so endearing and, like, mm-hmm. enchanting. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oh, I'm I, fascinated. I want to go there, yeah. Yeah, I want to go there. I want there to be a creature feature or a uh, some kind of, or like a Snowpiercers type thing or a reality show or a sitcom yep. or something. Because yep. um, Oh, because this is great. She, he, uh, the reporter says, residents like Gary Carr were fully aware of how interesting their town was to outsiders. When we were setting up our portrait, he said, Oh man, maybe I should shave my beard. And this guy who was in the store with him was like, "No, man, they want that Alaska swag, you know. They want that real Alaska. Uh, you know, they know what they know what's up. They know what the people want. The self awareness of it. I yeah. love. I oh, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good because it is. It is like this is. I don't know. There's something. I feel like we love to infantilize. Mm-hmm. Um. We love to, particularly like rural people, mm-hmm. and um, and eccentric like uh, what is the, um, Grey Gardens is it, or what, yeah, you know like that like 
look at these wackos living this way. Yeah, the recluse. But, but like part of living like that, especially in Whittier, because like you know, if you look at Whittier, Alaska on a map, it's not it's not like destitutely isolated. <laughs> like it is it's not an Bradensburg. hour. Yeah, it's an hour from Anchorage, you know. So it's yeah, like which is the biggest. A yeah. lot of these people, a lot of these people are making a choice. Like there is like mm-hmm. some sort of conscious, like self-aware decision to be doing this, you know. And yep. so, first of all, it can't be that bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you, if it was that bad, no one would live in this godforsaken building, right? There's there are no. there are cheap places to live in Alaska. That is a, a truth. So why mm-hmm. do they do it? It's got to be kind of fun. And it's yeah, like that's the thing. It's got to be kind of fun. I don't know. That's so crazy. I love it. And they and it's like the view is like great, you know? Oh so they're God. probably yeah, all sure just like beautiful. Yelling into the hallway like, "Y'all see that sunset?" You know? Oh uh, god, it would be so fun. <laughs> It'd honestly. Be so fun. It's like a dorm but with like people who like you know. There it is. There it is. All right. I, I'm kind of curious what like the rest of the place looks like. It's, it's a bunch of boats. Oh, that's an interesting Oof. building there. So when I when we were in um, the Basque country in mm-hmm. Spain, one of the things that I was so interested by mm-hmm. uh, was like we we drove kind of like a roundabout way. We went on a hike, and then we drove the entire coast. So we drove through a bunch of really small towns and mm. all of the small towns had like like five to ten story apartment buildings. And mm. it was like very, very dense, even though these were like, quote unquote, rural towns. Right. It was extremely dense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was so interesting. And I actually thought it was it. It must be such an like it. It must be such a different I think that there must be such a different cultural register for rural life if your city is also, or if the place you live is also dense still, Mm -hmm. but you're, it's just small. You know, it's like, okay, 10,000 people live in this town, but like in a tiny amount of space because you all live in apartment buildings. Yeah, I would say like the general accepted usage of space in the U.S. is like definitely in the minority. Well, yeah, I'm sure Japan has to be a little bit like that, too, in certain places. Japan right? is like that, where it's, like, hard to tell, because you're like, oh, here are some, like, townies. And you're like, I thought I was still in, like, Tokyo. And they're like, what? You're in, like, this is, like, you're in bumfuck Tokyo, buddy, and it's still, like, way more developed than, like... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, developed. yeah, I think that the, the, the amount of space in the United States allows people to, to like spread in a way that is really unseemly and undesirable mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like small towns in the u.s some are are fun some are interesting but like most are so fucking ugly and it's because there's no it there's no well a there's no money there mm-hmm. and everything in the u.s is money but b it's just like everything is like it's like who cares who cares what it looks like you just put the just splash yeah. it here you know just like throw it there yeah there was just no like per like um persevering traditional culture that kind of shaped and shifted as the time went it's just like 
a smattering of a smattering of half-baked ideas there it is there's the building man and this is where there's three dude there's open units should we move there's, there's 300 units oh yeah there's plenty and, of open units and there's 200 people living there but um there's families and stuff too so i wonder i wonder if... oh this is this is june miller's b&b yeah those here. two floors that the blue floors Imagine that staycation, like, going up the elevator, like, five floors and being like, hey, June. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I found found a condo for sale. Okay. Uh, For $69,500, you can own a condo inside Baggage Tower. Wow. And um, do, do we have a floor plan? Uh, let's see. So this is a three-bedroom, one-bath, 921 square feet. Uh, the the inside would be is... like. I love that this would be like two million dollars in like the Bay Area. You yeah. Know? Oh my God. Yeah. This is significantly larger than the condo I bought, and I don't want to display how much we paid for it. Um, uh, yeah, it's got kind of a Russian feel to it. Like it's got okay. kind of like a like a, like a soviet, soviet. <laughs> yeah, it's got a very soviet thing going on mm. a couple of the rooms have a weird like kind of like print on the ceiling okay. uh which i'm interested by it's nice though i mean I, it's not bad it is Can... in baggage tower it does not have laundry in in, in oh, there's the... a laundromat yeah they, yeah uh, that's a problem that's a bit of a that's a bit of a Mostly because it means I, I, I would I'm not gonna be doing any laundry, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um Wow. Wowie wow. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Whittier could be could be fun. Oh, and here one of my <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from the video is when the teacher is like she's like talking about like there's a you know, there's a store downstairs, there's like a post office. And she goes, there's a little video store downstairs that if you want to rent videos or movies, you can go and call her and she'll come over. <laughs> Hell yes. Perfect. Appropriate twist. Wonderful. Wonderful um, stuff. So Whittier, I'm gonna I'm putting it on the uh It's on the it's on the world tour. It's yeah. on the, the uh HFS world tour. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just got to make sure to arrive in Anchorage before 9.30 p.m. Before 9.30, yes. Yeah. Probably, honestly, well before. I would say, I think well you want to get to Woody, oh, to Anchorage, like, noon. You want to yeah, leave yeah, yeah, Anchorage yeah. by noon, you know, so you can get through that tunnel. I, no I want to check in with June. Yeah. Have a little chit-chat. Look out the window with some binoculars. Get a lay of the land. Have a drink in the afternoon, you know. Yep. All that. Sounds like a grand old time. A grand old time. All right. But that, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, that sounds good. That was a nice, I loved it. It was a nice little yeah. kind of, you know, special fun one. Special fun one, yeah. Yeah. Whittier, Alaska. We're, we're, we're constantly adding um, members to the human canon. 
yep. and sites for the HFS World Tour. This is, yeah, this is like we're starting in Whittier and ending in Darien Gap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there that's you go. the North America leg. That's, that is the North America leg. So. Um, all all right. right, John, what do you have for me? All right, Verge. Um, so I'm going to give you the, the topic, and I'm curious if you are familiar with anything about it. Okay. Are you familiar with Passadism at all? I don't think so. Not at this. It doesn't ring a bell. All right. I love it. So I'm going to preface all like this topic mm-hmm. by saying um, that there is, I've been, I feel like I've noticed and I person both in myself and like in the kind of like larger online mm-hmm. Twitter subculture, this mm-hmm. kind of like morbid actually and just in culture generally it's like Mm -hmm. morbid fascination with people that are wrong (laughs) so what i mean by that Uh is like like if you think about like true crime right like Uh that's people being wrong like people that are morally wrong like people yeah like we have this like fascination with it yeah and then like um in the kind of like physical or political or empirical sense, like conspiracy theories. Like I feel like conspiracy theories are having a very like hot moment, right? Like with QAnon and with whatever and Russiagate and all this stuff. And then Mm -hmm. um, like, like mentally like cults, like we are like fascinated by it. Right. Yeah. I love the direction you're going and I love that you're leading it. Um, well, okay. So, so, so I've been thinking about this, like people being wrong and I'm wondering Mm. what it says about Mm -hmm. us, about me, about everything Mm -hmm. that we are fascinated by this, whether it is like, okay, well, it's just fun to like fucking dunk on something, right? which is possible, Mm -hmm. but could it also be that maybe it's because the things that they're wrong about these like theories these these cults these whatever they pull at something they yep. they incite a certain paranoia in us mm-hmm. that the things that we know to be right mm-hmm. might not be as right as we think they are mm-hmm. right like and this is like obviously yeah. like a huge adam curtis like this is like right pulled straight from can't get you out of my head but Mm -hmm. i've been i was thinking about this and that's how i want to frame our discussion of passadism okay okay so yeah i'm so curious all right so so jay passadas uh otherwise known as homero romulo cristalli frasnelli uh but he's better known under his pseudonym jay passadas or sometimes juan passadas uh, is from Argentina, and he was a devout Trotskyist. Okay. Um, and I mean, I, I I had a kind of semblance of an idea of what Trotskyism compared to like other types of Marxism, but I I didn't entirely. So I went a little bit deeper, and basically Trotskyism. Mm. My suspicion was confirmed that 
I agree the most with Trotsky of all of like the communists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Trotsky broke away from Russian communism and Stalinism. Right. Like party that, communism, yeah. In that he believed in what he called a permanent revolution, mm-hmm. which said that um, like Stalin and most of the Bolsheviks believed that you had to create some sort of some like like russia was such a peasant state that they had Mm -hmm. to create like bourgeois capitalism first Mm. before they could create like a um dictatorship of the proletariat they before Mm. they could create like a true communist state they had Mm -hmm. to like install like develop and then they could get to it right um and trotsky was like nope you just do it all at once like you just gotta do it rip the band-aid off Mm. um and he also believed in like a true mass democracy of the proletariat Mm. uh and and this is i think the part that i and the reason that i think he like sunk in in the west Uh is because um he classified like russia and china as what he called like degenerate workers states Mm -hmm. which meant that they were supposed to replace the elite the capitalist system the upper class with Mm -hmm. like a you know like the pro dictatorship of the proletariat but in reality what they did is replace the elite with Mm -hmm. a an elite bureaucracy that is the communist party that ruled over everybody and got all of the benefits of stuff so so trotsky was like no, we're not doing what we said we were going to do. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. Got completely banished. It's like one of the two types of revolution, and it's the wrong one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> and and for this, Trotsky got completely like excommunicated and eventually assassinated for it. But mm. his ideas took hold really, really hardcore in Latin America. Mm. And so Jay Posadas is an Argentine um, Trotskyist. Okay. Uh, and he developed what became known as Posadism. Okay. And if you scour the internet, mm. uh, you will actually find quite a bit of like. I've okay, so I've definitely seen. Love. Yeah, I've heard the word Posad. I've seen the word Posadist on the yeah. internet. Like Posadism. Posadism. Posadism has become a meme. Um, okay. And has become a meme for a number of like reasonable reasons okay and they are because jay posadas had some of the most wacky like ideas ever to be added into communist lore okay Um, so some of the some of the things that he believed first he was what you would call an accelerationist in that and and i guess like i'll frame all of the his beliefs around uh, what i think is kind of a reasonable thing okay in that his you know heyday was the 1950s mm-hmm. um he believed that communism was an inevitability he thought okay. that it was a more developed form of government and form of mm-hmm. economics and he mm-hmm. thought that there was no reason why like he thought capitalism blip, right that's where we're going communism right it's just the effect it's gonna happen and so he believed in a few things that kind of coincide with this. Okay. One is that he was an accelerationist. And so in the in the very like heat of the Cold War, mm-hmm. he believed that Russia just should just start using nuclear weapons 
and bring on a nuclear apocalypse because he said it would be inevitable that out of the ashes of the destroyed world, communism would happen. He'd be, he's like, well, he's that guy. we will, we will re, we will reorganize as yeah. a communist state. It's inevitable. Yeah. Um, he also was a extremely heavy UFOologist. Um, yes. And he, yes. and he believed. Oh yes. What a great wrinkle. And he believed that if intelligent life is so technologically advanced that they are capable of reaching earth, that of course they're communist. And so therefore the only way that these intelligent life forms are going to come down and communicate with us is if we are communist. So we have to get to communism in order for the intelligent life that is watching us to to come down and make contact. And then third, and this one I don't have as much of like a like okay. reasonable rationale. He said we have to communicate with dolphins. We have got <laughs> to figure out a way Dude. to communicate with dolphins. We so have those, to know what they know. So like I think in reality, Jay Posadas was like a pretty like normal or like not normal, but like down the line Trotskyist. But uh-huh. he had these three things that he wrote about that to a certain extent in the moment people latched onto and right. more importantly now he has become an internet meme because people find all this stuff so ridiculous yeah yeah and i mean yes <laughs> and it is like especially well so the nuclear war stuff regrettable yeah. regrettable. regrettable that's some that's some like movie villain like it's wrong. bad stuff yeah, yeah it's bad it's ozymandias in yeah. the watchman bad exactly um the ufo stuff we'll definitely talk more about because that is like at the core of posadism mm-hmm. but if you see on twitter people that use like the dolphin emoji in their like <laughs> name in their screen name uh-huh. that is them riffing as a meme on posadism hilarious hilarious but I guess before we go further into Posadism, I, I do, like, I have been thinking about this. Because it is, sure, in, on its face it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I agree it's ridiculous. But I do want to actually, like, approach it in good faith. Mm-hmm. Some of these things. Because I think that there are, there are interesting caveats mm-hmm. to... The idea of being objectively wrong. Right. Like there's there's something to be said for like learning something from someone who is wrong in the right way. Mm-hmm. Where he's like trying, you know, this guy's fucking trying to figure it all out. And the UFO the thing. Is we're all wrong all the time. Yeah. yeah. The UFO thing really. The UFO least... thing is. It, it's like it's like not as crazy as I thought it was gonna be when you first brought it up. Where it's just like, oh, I see. Like the angle is, it's it's only a couple degrees away from Carl Sagan. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I I have a great this is a, a great article. It's um it's from the Outline. I don't know the the background of the periodical, the Outline. Um, hmm. but the the name of the article is the secret history of marxist alien hunters 
Um, and uh, they said, space has not always been such an apolitical void. It was the communists, after all, who started the space race by launching Sputnik in 1957. The United States reluctantly followed, even before they took power, Cosmism, the revolutionary mm. belief in space travel, was mm. part of the Bolshevik program. Cosmist Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, who NASA called a father of rocketry, believed mm. a socialist humanity ought to free itself of its geocentric outlook and seek contact with advanced extraterrestrial societies. Carl Sagan, who was at least sympathetic to socialism, and mm -hmm. Soviet scientist Yosef Shlavsky made a similar argument in their 1966 book, Intelligent Life in the Universe. Um, so, and, and you know what? It is something, I, I found myself on a sidetrack where I was reading about um, space, or like mission, space missions and, and mm. missions to the moon. And one of the things that I find so weird is that no man has walked on the moon since 1972. Yeah. Right? Like, mm -hmm. t Sputnik launched in 1957, and mm -hmm. by 1972, 12 people had walked on the moon. Mm -hmm. And since then, doesn't matter. And and it's, mm -hmm. it is a, like, so part of that, I think, is that 20th century geopolitical power meant mm -hmm. that, like, these two super nations or superpowers were like combating. And so they, they had a belief in something higher. They cared more about than just like profit. Right. And now we live in a world and an environment where the only thing that matters is profit. Mm -hmm. um, but like the sheer, the, the core of Marxism, right. The core tenant of it is like, whether whether it was ever really pure or not, like mm -hmm. that can be argued, and the the argument I think probably would land on not. It was always like corrupted by the sheer you know incompetence and ignorance right. and like evilness of man. Um, but the tenant of it is like this belief in like a common goal, mm -hmm. and I don't trust fucking Bezos and Musk. And all of these assholes mm -hmm. to like realistically get humanity into space the way that right. they think that they can. Their mm -hmm. arrogant motherfucking moronic brains think that we, they can get us into space just by throwing money at it. Mm -hmm. It's like, no. Like, honestly, I believe a whole lot more in Jay Posadas than I do in <laughs> Elon Musk. Like, honestly. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 That's fair. It's pretty, I don't know, it's pretty weird. Um, it is weird. I mean, it's it's weird, but... This is another interesting uh, thing. So so Posadas obviously had a lot of, like, kind of kooky people mm. that um, that followed him and, like, kind of caught up. Right. So uh, this guy, uh, Dante Minazzoli, who okay. is a, a, he, another Argentine Trotskyist... Um, and he began to focus exclusively on political readings of the great scientific UFOologists. Uh, he wrote them letters, and he remained convinced that UFOs were the work of alien observers who recognized humanity 
was becoming technologically advanced enough to join a galactic community. Hmm. It was, but but it was still too dangerous to open up relations to. Right. He predicted that the end of the Cold War could make them change their minds, mm-hmm. but that the imperialist United States would attempt to suppress first contact and mobilize war against the visitors to defend their hegemony. Um, and aware of Reagan's concerns about aliens and interest in science fiction, he con- uh, cautioned his fellow UFOologists that any government documents leaked to them may have been manipulated by the CIA. Ah, uh, he's getting a little paranoid, but like, uh, but rightfully, but, but exactly, but it's like, uh, Minazoli died in 1996, the same year that Independence Day, in which Will Smith greets a crashed alien scout mm-hmm. by saying, Welcome to Earth, and then punching it in the face <laughs> was released. It was the exact sort of pop culture depiction of extraterrestrials as locust-like invaders as opposed to sophisticated space comrades that concerned Amina Zoli, who feared that such enemy alien propaganda, as neo-Pasadists call it, would prime humanity to accept a militaristic border around the entire planet. Well, that's what it is. I mean, it's it's a hive. It's a hive. So this is the thing, is that Pasadism is 99% crazy, Mm -hmm. but there is a... 0.1% 0.1% chance mm-hmm. that it is like the only ideology that can save and and expand like where we're supposed to be going. You right. know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> the kind of exciting thing about it. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, okay, yes, this mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Uh-huh. But at least they're trying. You that's know? the at thing. At least they're yeah. looking for what the next step is. Because clearly, I'm sorry. But, like, Hillary Clinton's neoliberal vision for the world is mm-hmm. not what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, that's not like, the end of it. And that's not, mm-hmm. like, the next step. So there's right. got to be something. It can't be just this that we're living. And so at least they're, like, looking for the next yeah. move. I definitely feel like it's, like, yo, like, keep following that thread and, like, don't be too disappointed if it doesn't come to fruition, but you know, I think it's generally harmless. And yeah, the more nuclear, than that, the nuclear apocalypse stuff. Let's yeah, get away from that's no, but that's like a, that's an idea that when presented, make it, it, there's a reason that that trope exists, right? There's a reason. Uh, fucking Liam Neeson wants to. Uh, blow up all of Gotham City in Batman Begins. There's a reason Thanos wants to snap the universe. Like, all that is... There's a reason that trope exists. Can't do that. We can't do that. Right. Now, are we going to do that to ourselves? Very possibly. It's, um... It is... I don't don't know. I've, I've... I've been... I've been eyeing Posadism as a topic for this show for a uh, while. Uh, uh, just because I, like, I've always seen it, and it is, like, it, it is so eye-catchingly weird, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, ooh, what is that about? Like, and then you, you hear, like, the greatest hits. It's like, nuclear apocalypse, UFOs, dolphins. Like, yeah. You're like, hell yes. <laughs> That's the, the holy trinity of, like, fun. And I, but I do wonder how much... 
of the internet memification and discourse of it mm-hmm. is in good faith and mm-hmm. how much is not and i don't i, I honestly can't tell you because i didn't well, know enough yeah besides like the greatest hits and i wonder like the people on twitter with the dolphin emojis mm-hmm. what they're whether they're interacting with it and thinking yeah. about it and i hope they are you know that's the combo that's always the interesting thing with like humor in general and internet humor in general it's like the people that get it versus the people that don't might be presenting the same thing but with vastly different intents um right so i so i imagine the output of it comes from both sides right and then and then the consumption of it based on the person also goes both ways um yeah but it's one of those things where it's like awareness of of these ideas is not is not you know we we definitely i feel like um the world's like interaction with like futurism Mm -hmm. and space Mm -hmm. was much more weirdly prescient pre-internet like i feel like our science fiction of the day and like our our conceptualization of the world right now is is very unrelated to space in in oh interesting i don't and i don't know whether it's because i've been reading a lot of science fiction from the 70s and i've Mm -hmm. been like like looking at this and stuff that i feel Mm -hmm. that way but i don't feel like we're looking out as much as we used to interesting do you well i think well i think what's interesting is that they're they're they have looked out long enough to get a certain number of data a certain amount of data and calculations where most of space at least Mm -hmm. as presented to the layman starts to feel pretty rote right it's like yeah like wind and stuff feels mystical if you don't know what it is the moment you learn what it is it's just fucking wind right right um and waves it's just like uh, and, and and like we don't even know what the fuck like how the how the moon's tides like the idea of the moon affecting these waves that we just take for granted right we know it but we don't think about it we don't give a fuck i don't give a fuck right you know that maybe every once in a while I remember that if the moon's doing something, then it's going to be low tide for a bit or whatever, you know? But, like, I think that's where the right. sp- space is for the layman. And I think but f- what's interesting for scientists is they're starting to reach a point where their calculations are starting to, like, starting to bring out some wonky numbers, some wonky paradoxes and impossibilities and contradictions. And right. the more you look into, like, now they're looking into, like, fucking, like, black holes and shit, right? Right. And things are, like, weirdly not making sense. And, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> Hi, croissant. Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, will say, like, if if there, if you, there is a trajectory that you can take um, between two circling black holes. Let's say two black holes are affected by each other and begin kind of like moving in conjunction with each other. There is a physical path that you can take where you will arrive because of the time distortion at a time before you Hmm. took off. 
Interesting. That's some like wonky shit. Yeah. It's just like time travel is fucking sick. And I always think like, man, if they crack it, that'd be so sick. And the moment I heard that, I was like, dude, that is too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, 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 I guess that is maybe the part of it is that like, even in the 1970s, mm-hmm. space seemed simpler. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like it was like, okay, we we can do this. We've been to the moon. Like, We've been to the moon. Yeah. Like, think about what's gonna happen. Like it's just an exponential journey. And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, this is like, this is beyond. It's like, oh, ants on a log. We're ants on a log, and we're, you know, on mm-hmm. a, yeah, like, on a log in the river, mm-hmm. and we're not supposed to get off. It's not our function to get off. Right. And so there are there are things that are keeping us against it that we will never uncover or, or, or at least not in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. I just am, I would love, I am excited for the conception that in my lifetime, like more shit happens. Dude, I am, I'm like there, there's a large percentage of me that has always without any desire to be the person that enacts this always was like, that one accidental leap that one person who discovers the thing that is like you know maybe not some like you're messing with god kind of shit but like the thing that it's just like oh we just got like we figured out propulsion that is not like jet propulsion like right like oh like some new shit altogether that interstellar stellar like we cracked gravity dude you know yeah and it's like I think about the fact that they um, observed gravitational waves a couple years ago. Hmm. And the interesting thing is the guy that, the physicist that was leading it, Kip Thorne, uh, leads LIGO, which is like two instruments that that were literally set up to detect the minor, minor gravitational waves from some interstellar you know, event. And the great thing is Kip Thorne is the guy that conceived the idea for the movie Interstellar. Oh, interesting. Um, and he brought it to, like, Spielberg before Christopher Nolan was ever attached to it and, and all this stuff. But anyway, like, yeah, a couple years ago was the first time they actually proved gravitational waves. That's... Okay, now we know, now we have measured this shit. Right. So what's, like... Now, how do they implement that? Like, th- it's those little leaps that I'm like, fuck, that'd be sick. Because I also I also am very much the kind of person that would love to believe that we are being observed. And I've dis- I came to this thought through Star Trek because the whole thing is uh, a guy on Earth uh, develops warp technology. And that's when the Vulcans, who have already been observed, observing Earth, like the warp signature was the thing that prompted them to finally make first contact. So there's a part of me that wants to believe that concept. Right. You know, I will never let myself, never let that be the uh, prevailing ideology in my head. I mean, in my head, though, like if we are being observed, Mm -hmm. then Posadas is right. I mean, clearly right. That's the great thing, yeah. If we are being observed, then I, I mean... Because, because, I don't know, I have a hard time not 
sensing a certain level of like stagnation mm-hmm. to the like progress of science at least in like the terms of like great feats of humanity kind of mm-hmm. science Mm-hmm. since the fall of the ussr you know what right. i mean and, and it's like there's like i think there's something to there's something to like the superpower theory that it's like mm-hmm. all right well on a geopolitical level like people are pushed and why are they pushed because mm-hmm. i don't think that they're just pushed right now we're in an era where like the the prevailing theory is that like well you can push just on the sh- on the sake of sheer money on profit right like right. we've got these like these like um cosmo libertarians like mm-hmm. elon musk is and you know and what, who's that fucker from uk uh branson richard branson richard like branson it. yeah like, we can just you just spend enough money on it that's money makes everything right makes I don't, dope jets yeah. i don't believe that i just mm-hmm. don't buy it right and yeah and so i i don't believe because man's mind is the same regardless right mm-hmm. and so you're just talking about like what motivates a man or woman like right. what m- motivates a human mm-hmm. and so like if we are to believe that ideas can like kind of like spread like diseased mm-hmm. or diseases like mm-hmm. what's better than the diseased mind of someone whose true inherent belief in their head right. is that they are doing this for the betterment betterment of mankind right like that is the most pure yeah that's what you're that's what you're looking for right is that pure distilled goodness that exists behind it and there's nothing you know obviously we've we've been over it didn't Mm. work in practice but like nothing's Mm. come as close to that as communism has like Mm. this idea is like pure distilled like i'm doing it for all of us yeah. That attitude creates the best science from yeah. the best scientists. Right. If if they're if that's stuck in their head, and you know maybe a little bit less than that is like nationalism, right. which is what the Cold War was built on, mm-hmm. and less than that is profit. Like who the fuck cares? I don't know. Some people do, but they don't care enough. They they're not they're 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 literally just clocking in and clocking out for a paycheck. Yeah. Like yeah. fuck that. Yeah. They're um. An interesting branch of science that I think might be fueled and and burning with that desire of goodness right now is mycology, man. Like mushrooms and shit, fungus, yeah, 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 fungi, yeah. yeah. I mean, it it is in a sense looking back words, not necessarily, but it's it's the kind of like trying. It, it it's kind of trying to get the same ideological shift in people, mental paradigm shift in people. Um, physically and mentally through something that is the oldest, you know, some of the oldest creatures that have also been evolving this whole time. I mean, I would just, how cool would that be if like, uh, if in our lifetime, it turned out that like mushrooms were the key to it all, you know, I think it's not, it's not on earth, not a, yeah. On earth, if anything is my money would be on mushrooms. They know what's up, dude. They they fucking they're talking underground, like being like, "Yo, this tree needs some fucking, yeah, that's some shit." That they, they th- that's another organism that falls under my like kind of uh, kooky theory of like the bee- bees have already gone through it theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, mushrooms have been through. They they have gone through multiple it, times. Dude. 
They've gone through the cycle twice. They they're at okay at the end of Limitless. Have you seen that movie? No. Am I gonna spoil? I've, I've, does it matter? You know, it does not okay, matter. Good. It's a no, that's the correct. Movie, that's yeah. the correct. Yeah. In the end, it's like Robert De Niro kind of plays the bad guy who's like trying to regulate it and like take, you know, threatening to take it away from him if if he doesn't do whatever or something. And then there's this whole like thing. Uh, and then the pills are gone. Um, and it seems like Bradley Cooper's like off the thing and coming back to normal flowers for Algernon style. And then the big twist is he was like, dude, I got to a point where like, I don't need those fucking pills anymore. I figured out how to like change my body chemistry to just like be this now forever. <laughs> and like, that's, I think that's what mushroom, that's where mushrooms are at, dude. They're just like, yo, we are constantly, we're just tripping. This yeah. stuff that's in us, we're feeling it. And that's just the beautiful life we're living. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. They'll, they'll help right. us. And Star Trek's doing that's... that shit. Star Trek's, Star, Trek. Star Trek's doing that um, storyline right now of like... Mushrooms they, are the key Yeah, they do warps through um, the mycelial network. <laughs> 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 Fucking love that shit. Is there... There's a current season of Star Trek? There's Star Trek Discovery, which okay. the second season... Yo, the second season big ups there's like time stuff there's like uh the protagonist without realizing affecting her own future and past stuff there's fucking shrooms the uh the engine like the main engineer character's name is stamets like paul stamets the mycologist so they're really hitting it on the nose they're trying to get the non non psychedelic demographic to start thinking about that shit yeah Hey, well, on that note, <laughs> on that note, I think that's that's it for us. Uh, this has been the Hegelian Friendship Simulator. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. Um, you can find us on social media, Twitter and Instagram. Email us at Hegelian Friendship Simulator at gmail.com. And honestly, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, let us know if you want to move to Whittier, Alaska with us. Yeah. Uh, and can be neighbors, um, and take over the mun- municipal government with the Posadist party. Oh These are God. all things that we could probably do. Whittier Posadist. Let's do it. Condom, condom, communion, communion, communion. There it is. All right. On that note, adios. We'll see folks. you there. Adios. Adios.